0: Uh, if you want to turn with me, we're we're going to be continuing uh, to look at the book of Hebrews, uh, and today we're going to be reading chapter 3. You'll find that on page 1202, 1202, of the Pew Bibles. This is Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first, As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. I'm going to end our reading there tonight. <clears throat> so I have a friend um, who I've, I've worked with for a few years who's developed quite a bad intolerance to dairy products. Um, anything with, with dairy in it would cause what can only be described as a, as a violent reaction which leaves her feeling sick and sore for days afterwards. So obviously, she doesn't touch anything with, with dairy in it, and her life is wonderful. Um, not quite. I remember being out with her for a, it was a Christmas lunch in a cafe, and after the Christmas dinner, she went and she had a nosy around, uh, and she came back with this huge slice of pavlova covered in cream. Uh, and I just stared at her. And she kind of looked at me sheepishly and she said, look, I know, I know this is going to end badly, but I can't help myself look at it. And she was right. It did not end well. My friend knew that because of her condition, her life was better without dairy products. But she kept looking back at the life she had before. Because even though that stuff she used to eat and enjoy was so damaging it just seemed so attractive. When we come to, to Hebrews chapter 3, the writer seems to be making a case that Jesus is better than Moses. And on the surface, this should be a pretty short sermon because I doubt there's there's too many of us in the room tonight who think or need convincing that Moses was better than Jesus. I think we're all pretty much convinced that Jesus is better or greater than Moses. But actually, I think what's going on here is is of great importance for us as Christians today. You see, these Jewish Christians the writer is speaking to are, are really struggling. They are being sorely tempted to give up their faith and return to Judaism, to go back to the life they had before, to compromise their beliefs so that they didn't look any different Or attract any more negative attention. They're a bit like my friend with dairy products. They're tempted to look back at what they had before and see something that is better and more attractive that life without Jesus. And they struggle to see the danger of it. And are we not just the same? Are we ever tempted to to lose focus on Christ? To live lives that look no different from those of our non-Christian colleagues, our family members, our friends. To keep returning to those sinful behaviors and attitudes that might seem attractive on the surface, but only ever lead to pain and suffering and ultimately death. To keep looking back at that old life as if it's better than the life we have in Christ. The writer of this letter to the Hebrews pens this section to to call those Jews and those of us today who are so tempted to look back to instead fix our eyes and our thoughts on Christ. And he does this here in in three ways. Firstly, there's a a call and a challenge to focus on Jesus. Jesus. Then there's a block of teaching that helps him to make his point. And finally, there's this warning of the consequences of living a life of looking backwards. So first off, we come to this, this call to, to fix our thoughts on Jesus. These, uh, these Jewish Christians, were, we're not totally sure where they're living, but it's a place with both a, a Roman and a Jewish community. And history tells us that they have been cast out of both. Many have been abandoned by their families, thrown out of their synagogues and communities. People are are refusing to support their businesses. They have been under increasing persecution from the Jewish community. And now, under Nero, Christians were facing serious persecution from the Romans as well. They're scared to meet in groups to support each other. They had very little of the, the New Testament written down to encourage them. And they struggled to even afford food and housing. And they looked back and saw the Jewish community they came from, still at this stage recognized as an approved religion of the empire. It seems that some were were beginning to question whether following Jesus was worth it at all. Others began to question whether Christianity was really that different from Judaism. Judaism. Could they not go back and, and, and worship God that way and, and be okay? Be reunited with their, their families, their community? Get their businesses back up and running and be free from this persecution? Would going back really be that bad? This is the question that the, the writer is dealing with throughout the book of Hebrews. Showing these, these hard pressed and discouraged Christians that Jesus is better. And we've seen over the past two chapters the writer begin to build his case. In chapter one, we've seen that, that Jesus is God's Son, higher than the heavenly beings. In chapter two, we are reminded of, of all that Jesus has done for us by lowering himself to be a man, suffering. And dying for us. And then our chapter opens with a therefore. It's saying, in, in in light of all you now know about who Jesus is and all that He has done for you, you who have been called by God into this life with Christ, fix your thoughts on Him, not on what you've left behind not on your old life. It's it's interesting here that that unlike many of the other letters that talk about Christ or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, reminding people that this man was divine, the writer to the Hebrews chooses to to just use Jesus' earthly name here. He's already made clear that, that Jesus is divine, higher than the heavenly beings. Right here, he wants to remind these struggling Christians that Jesus was a human being who went through trials and temptations and sufferings just like them. So they could look to him, not just for salvation from their sin, but also help to cope with the troubles of this life that they were facing. So we can look to Jesus in in all of life's ups and downs because he's been through it all and he walks with us through it all. And he finishes this call to, to focus on Jesus, to keep our thoughts on him by reminding us that Jesus is the central figure of our faith. He uses these two words, apostle and high priest. He is our apostle, our supreme messenger from god whose words brought the very universe into existence and bring real life to his people and he's our high priest the one who makes the sacrifice on our behalf and in jesus's case it was the ultimate once and for all sacrifice that no other high priest in history could ever have made He's claiming that life with Christ, as a disciple of Christ, is what it's all about. That's where the life is. That's where the hope for our future lies. Anything less than that is no life at all. In the rest of this section of the letter, he seeks to show them that what they're going back to might look appealing. It might look like life, but really... It's the road to death because it's a road in opposition to God's plan for his people. The Jews saw Moses, this, the, the great leader, the great teacher, the one who, who spoke directly with God, who brought the people out of Egypt and received God's law. They saw him as an absolutely key figure for them. The writer of of Hebrews is in, in no way downplaying the place of Moses in redemption history. He is simply pointing out that however highly they think about Moses, they should think of Jesus so much more highly. The writer shows that although Moses was faithful to God in his generation and played a significant and key role in God's redemption plan, Jesus is God himself in human form. Moses was a faithful servant of God, but Jesus is part of the Godhead itself. And therefore, we should look to him and be faithful to him rather than than place our trust in anything else. Looking back to, to Judaism and the law given by Moses is to look back to less less than what these Jews can now receive in Christ. Rather than than gain their, their freedom from trouble and persecution, they find themselves in danger of losing out on the real freedom and the new life that Christ has to offer. So what about us? Are we tempted to do the same thing? We know it may not be choosing Judaism instead of Christianity, picking that that signpost over the the destination, but we can very easily slip into a Christless version of Christianity. Are we tempted to see religious activity as more important than our relationship with Jesus? Do we come to, to every church function and event but we rarely spend time immersed in God's life-giving and life-changing Word or spending any real time in His presence through prayer? Are we tempted to, to place far too much credit on our own moral behavior rather than a, a changed heart through the Spirit at work within us? When we go out into the world and meet non-Christians, are we more upset about the way that they're dressed or the language they use or the lifestyle that they've chosen to adopt, rather than the fact that they need to hear and see in action the mercy and love of the God who can lead them to new and lasting life. We're quick to judge others, to become defensive of our own position to hide from the world, then just like these Jews, we are in danger of giving up the truth for something less. We need, as the the writer says, to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Jesus who had that, that perfect balance of being able to hold to the clear truth of the gospel, but share it with love, and mercy and compassion we need to keep our focus on christ spend real time with him be continually shaped by his spirit so that our faith doesn't become all about us our own moral goodness our own judgment over others The writer of this letter wants these Jewish members of the church to realize that choosing Judaism instead of Jesus isn't just less than Christianity, but it's going back to the law, the law which only condemns, and is now going against God's redemption plan. This is why the largest section of this passage is this warning. The writer says, going back to Moses is death. He quotes the the second half of of Psalm 95. And he compares those who would go back to their old lives, to to anything less than the life we receive in Christ. Not to the the faithful Israelites like, like Joshua and Caleb, but to those who rebelled against God and Moses in the wilderness. He's saying that we're in danger of the the same fate as them. If we haven't truly grasped the truth of the gospel, we may also end up not entering God's rest. Jesus also makes this point in, in John 5, 45 and 46. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses you would believe me, for he wrote about me. The writer of of Hebrews and Jesus are are both saying that if you've really grasped the truth of Christ, what Moses and and the rest of the Old Testament is pointing to, then why would you want to go back to something that doesn't have the power to save, but only condemns? Unless you've, you've never really understood the truth and your hearts are still hard. I remember back to, to my uh, Sunday school days. Um, when I started out, there were about 15 kids in my Sunday school class. Um, they were all with me right up to, to P7. And I, I wasn't a, a Christian at that point. But it seemed that, that some of them, um, some of those other guys, really got it. They gave all the right answers, they, they seemed to really believe what they were saying. But then as we moved into Bible class, they began to to quickly all fall away. Uh, Until I think at about the age of 17, I was the only one left uh, from that group. And if you had seen us at the start of our time in Sunday school, um, you would have said I was the one that was most likely to disappear. They had knowledge of God and Jesus, but they hadn't grasped the greatness of Christ and their total need of him. It maybe all looked good on the outside, but their hearts were becoming hard. And when the temptations of this world came along, they chose to turn away from living for God, from the living God, and instead they chose less. Does that mean they all definitely weren't Christians? I don't know. If any were, then I believe like the prodigal son, they will one day return. But there are probably some who, as it says here, will will not enter God's rest because of their hard hearts and their unbelief. I don't believe that that any true follower of Christ can lose their salvation. You might argue with me on that one. But I think it's, it's arrogant of us to think that we're even close enough to being powerful enough to undo what Christ has done for us. But I also think there are people in our churches who, who, like my, my Sunday school class, have a knowledge of God. They like a lot of what Jesus is about. They like the familiarity of religion, of church, but have probably never really committed their lives to Christ. They maybe look good on the outside, but inside their hearts are hard And hardening. They live whatever way they want. They use the Bible out of context to defend and excuse the way they live. They produce no real fruit. And over time they actually grow to become less Christ-like. And many eventually slowly they give up on church and faith altogether, as they embrace things that are less than the grace of God who made and loves us. Maybe you're one of those people the writer's talking about. You're here. You accept it all. But it doesn't really impact you. It doesn't make any real difference in your life. Hear the warning of this passage. Hear the voice of the one who loves you who wants to bring you from death to life, real life, full life, free from the burden and consequences of your sin. Hear his voice today and do not harden your heart. Come to the one who died for you, who is faithful and wants to show you his great mercy and love. If that's where you are tonight, please come and chat to one of us. Maybe you're, you're sitting here tonight and, and you know that you're a disciple of, of Christ. You love Jesus. You've asked him to come and, and, and take the consequences of your sin away and be with you, to shape your heart and life. But you're still struggling, you identify with the prodigal son. You know that you're a part of the the father's household, but yet you're tempted to lose your focus and to look for life elsewhere or at times run away, run into sin, into old ways of thinking. I think some of these, these Jewish Christians were the same, sorely tempted to return to an easier life, to a life that, that looked like the one everyone else had. I believe many, if they, if they had have gone back, would have eventually realized just how empty life without Christ really is. And they would have returned. But like the prodigal son, they would have caused serious damage to themselves and others in the process. And would have been almost completely useless to the kingdom during that time. If that's a danger for you, and I I think at times it's a a danger for us all, stick close to the living God. Recognize that, that real life comes from him and him alone. As we've said, stay close to his word. Hear his voice, as verse seven tells us. Believe what you have heard, as verse 12 tells us encourage one another, pray for one another, as we see in verse 13. And share together in Christ. We see that in verse 14. One of the best ways you can do that here in Kirkpatrick is to get stuck into our discipleship groups. Get involved. Get involved in your group. And if you're not in one, join one. Make it a priority of your week. There you will delve into God's word together. You'll have a group who prays with you and for you, who encourages you and shares life with you and will help you as you help them to keep your thoughts fixed on Jesus. So I wonder where are your thoughts fixed tonight? Are you looking back and thinking that there's life outside of Christ? That life might, might seem attractive, but it will lead only to pain and suffering and potentially even death. Don't look to the things that are less than the riches that Christ offers you. Fix your thoughts on him because he alone can rescue. And unlike us, he is faithful to the end.